Hi, my name is Tony. And I'm Chris. And we love pop culture. We often find ourselves discussing film, music, literature, and more, going down the rabbit hole of how everything is connected. We want to share those moments in pop culture that are seemingly unrelated, but connected by just a few links. Welcome to the Pop Culture Connection. Hello and welcome back to a special episode of the Pop Culture Connection. This is Tony with you, and we're going to be talking about horror movies over the next few weeks here, taking a little bit break of our normal way of doing the podcast. So we got together, we started talking about our favorite horror movies and the connections between one another, and we had a lot of fun. I hope you really enjoy this one uh, and over the next few weeks and something that we're looking forward to do more often, these special episodes. Uh, don't forget, you can always reach out to us at gmail, thepcccast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at thepcccast, on Instagram at the Pop Culture Connection, and actually, as of last week, we just joined YouTube, so I'll leave a link to our YouTube page there. So a lot of different ways to listen to the podcast through Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you can get podcasts. We would like to hear from you, so hope again, hope you really like the special episodes and reach out to us for any comments or ideas. What an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that? Intensely. But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan. You and us. Did you do that? Uh, do it again. In time. No, now. In time. Oh, my. The Pop Culture Connection Halloween Horror Movie Special. It's that time of year. Spooky scary, like a werewolf bar mitzvah. (laughs) Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. That is scary. It's the good time. No. The best time. Chris and I have been friends for a long time. We have many things in common. 400 some years now, I think. Yeah, and that amount of things in common. Exactly. And that's why we're friends. Since we were made eternal. And uh, loving horror films, the the weirder, the scarier, the better, we'll take it. We've gone to or have hosted horror movie marathons. Over a decade. For Yeah, over a decade now. Every year doing a different... Grouping of four films and vintage trailers, and trivia, and again, we're enjoying the Southern Tier Pump King, and that goes mm. well with it. It's my favorite time of year. Not to mention Halloween is not only my favorite holiday, but my anniversary with my beautiful yes. wife. Very lucky to have found my Morticia Adams <laughs> in life. But this time, of year, this time of year is absolutely my favorite and i love there's something i think innate 
in nature that makes you want to the colder weather, the crisp feeling makes you want to stay in and be reminded of death for some reason. <laughs> and that's why it's our favorite time of year. And you know, I think before the winter months, before all the crops died, you know, our ancestors got together and told each other scary stories as a reminder that everything's fleeting. Sure. We're only here and be good or else bad things will happen to you. And that has stuck around. I don't think that's a thing that's ever going to go away. Why is it that uh, we revel in this year, part time of the year, where everything is, like you said, it's the great dying off. And it's traditionally everybody's favorite season. It's Yeah, it's the harvest. It's the color, the changing, the reminder that these things are going away. The beauty of that. In nature. Right. Or the beauty of that in just the human psyche of the reminder that, like you said, this is all fleeting. And it's, and it's all connected. And I, and I love that, that that's, and I don't know, you know, not all countries celebrate Halloween, but I think they have a similar festival or reminder of that throughout the year. And it might not be at the same time, but and at least in the West, this is the time uh, before the winter months, before the Yeah, cold. in temperate cultures specifically. Any culture that has uh, is able to see the more drastic transitions in the seasons have this sort of festival mentality this time of year. So it is something kind of ancient and innate with us. Yeah, I, and we, I think... And you feel that. I think we need it. I think being scared is important. You know, we're not cavemen anymore we don't have to worry about well, there's plenty we... to be scared about in this day and age. well that's true it's um, terrifying it's very different reasons uh but you know we actually pay to be scared a lot of times we go we pay to go on a thrill ride and get that adrenaline rush we haunted houses, haunted houses scary horror movies or movie, movies still out perform either for the I remember when The Passion of Christ was the number one movie in this country for a few, quite a few weeks in a row, and the movie that took it out was Dawn of the Dead, the remake, <laughs> a zombie movie. Both similar, similar stories. That's true. He did come back. He didn't, to my knowledge, in the Bible that I've read, didn't eat anyone. Wait, so those movies weren't related? That wasn't him? In in the mall, oh, I didn't even think about that. He was the mall. Yeah, uh, but I think that I think that proves a lot about what people want to see. You're talking about what is considered the greatest story ever told, and the basis for Western religion, and then zombies in a mall. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything is uh, it's all fair game, right? And I, I just I just love that. I, I love October. I love Halloween. Love horror movies. And, you know, usually on this show, what we try to do is take two very different things and kind of connect them, find links between them. Um, I thought we'd do maybe a, a two-part episode here and try to connect as many horror movies as we can. Kind of looking looking back through the years, um, obviously a lot of it's going to be through the timeline we lived in. That's what we have the most 
best frame of reference to. So maybe 20th we'll change and it. 21st century. So if you're from the 19th century, you're one of those old school cats, vampires still alive today, thinking we're going to hit on uh, some of that uh, old Voltaire stuff. It's just not going to happen. Not yet. Not yet. I know that a lot of people are really worried about the plague. And we haven't written any nursery rhymes about that. It's been a while. Warnings. We need to get on some new nursery rhymes. Do you think there'll be a nursery rhyme about COVID one day? If we're doing... 200 years from now? If we're doing it right, yeah. How do you think that would go? Kids, get on that. Get together on the playground. And uh, put together what you think is a good masking of huh, masking masking of what's going on in the world right now with COVID. Yes, all the children that listen to our podcast. Um, and if you don't believe it's real, it is. Masks are important, as is the vaccination. And if you disagree, you are wrong. Yep. Throw that in the song. But that's okay. You know, regardless of whatever you think. Uh, horror movies are horror movies. Scary stories are scary stories. Um, and I figured we'd start with what is probably known as, at least for a lot of people, known as the scariest movie of all time, 1973, The Exorcist. Oh, The Exorcist. So what is your... I thought you were going to say Abbott and Costello. Meet Frankenstein. No, that it, it's uh, Laurel and Hardy way out west. <laughs> Terrifying. Um, when do you first remember seeing The Exorcist? Well, I think I have a great uh, story for this one. Uh, I was being babysat by my next door neighbor who is six years older than me. And so when I was six years old, that would make her 12. They were watching The Exorcist at her house. Now, she wasn't babysitting me at the time. I was just over there because she was next door and we hung out. But you called her the babysitter. She she was the babysitter. She babysat me most times. You had adventures in babysitting. Definitely. Okay. And uh, so all I knew was there was this scary movie that everybody was going to be watching. So I went over there and uh, the adults... The sensible adults were kind of like, no, 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 you're, this isn't for you. And somehow I convinced them, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm totally cool. Fine. I know all about I this. I can handle all I of can this. hang. And uh, so somehow that worked. I've been a smooth talker since way back when. And uh, as the movie progresses, it gets to the point uh Spoiler alert for those of you who have not seen The Exorcist. First of all, The Exorcist, what is wrong with you? Um, but it gets to the point where, <laughs> you all know the scene, she comes down the stairs, uh, not normally. And at that point, I made up a lie <laughs> in which I said, I thought I heard my mom calling me. <laughs> and I removed myself from the situation because it was a bit too much for me to handle. And I, I recognize that in myself. How old are you? I think I was about six years old and I self censored and I was like, yeah, you're, you guys are right. (laughs) This is a little, uh, beyond the pale. So I lied to everybody in the room and said, 
And every kid's done this. Like, right. oh, I just heard my mom call me. I'm not scared. I just have to check. On I just my... have to completely leave. Right. I. And that is something about kids will self-censor themselves. Kids know what scares them. Kids know what they're not prepared for, what they're uncomfortable with. Yeah. Which is why censorship is a big issue with me. I'm very fortunate to have had parents who have said, you can be in the room while this is on, and I decided if I can handle it or not. Something I want to talk about in a future episode is the scary stories to tell in the dark books. Uh, Between the stories told and the illustrations, there's a lot of shit that they will give you nightmares. But I loved it. I ate it up. It started my obsession with the macabre and horror. But to ban that, to say that kids can't have an understanding of death or no fear or be prepared for something that they're not prepared for, I don't get at all. Well, you're out to uh, save the souls. And anytime you're doing that good work, well, watch out. Just why, why do you do it? Um, you know, for myself, I am being raised Catholic. Italian Catholic. Yeah, so this film must have been even more poignant for you. It's be especially we were just talking about. Uh, Chris was looking at a picture of my great grandparents, and my great great grandmother reminds me very much of Damien Karras's mother in the film. Uh, broken English, came here from another country. Uh, you know, obviously. Damon Karras was was Greek. Uh, my family's Italian, but close enough. <laughs> um, somewhere over there. Yeah, being Italian Catholic, and I, I've talked to other people who grew up Catholic who have watched The Exorcist, and I know people who won't let that movie in their house or the book. Mm-hmm. They won't even let a physical copy to enter their home because of how... Whether they've seen it or not, but most of the time because they've seen it in the theater and said, no, I want nothing to do with that because there's pure evil Mm -hmm. coming out of that something. So that tradition of uh, extreme superstition is still alive and well in certain. That's what Catholicism is, is adherence to biblical teachings while having superstitious additional beliefs that connect with it. There is still in, in Italian families I'm sure, or others, you know, the evil eye and either avoiding it or causing it, um, depending on your who's who's doing it. Uh, that's still a thing. And the belief in Catholicism of possession is very real. There are rites for exorcism and the movie and the novel uh, by William Friedkin do it well with explaining that the Catholics keep that kind of in the background is, hey, yeah, we have it, but at that time in the 70s, we're not, we don't really talk about it much, but we have it. And I love that the novel and the book and the book and the paperback and the hardback. Yes, I also I love, love, the- love the book. Oh, the literary reference. Yes. I love it, the novel and the film. 
uh, both explore the psychology behind it more. The doctors, there's a scientific point. The doctors saying this might be a lesion on the brain. Mm -hmm. This might be a psychosomatic disorder over depression or anxiety. And that trying to find it and doing spinal taps in these medical procedures, which are in and of itself hard to watch. Yeah, there's some horror there, too, of like the modern medical apparatus when it's, it's turned loose on you with uh, its full full power of we don't know what's going on. So anything is warranted. Any torture that we bestow on you is warranted in the name of figuring this out. Um it's, it's a nice touch to the film. You're watching a 12-year-old girl go through hell in modern what is considered modern medicine at the time. And one of the most shocking scenes and one of the most protested scenes is her getting the, um, the blood drawn and then the, the dye inserted to do an MRI because it's hard to watch. Mm-hmm. So you have that aspect. And then you have... Father Karras is not only a Catholic priest, but he's a psychologist. So it's a psychological aspect. Wham, bam. Look, I'm only against the possibility of doing your daughter more harm than good. Nothing you can do could make it any worse. I can't do it. I need evidence that the church would accept his signs of possession. Like what? Like her speaking in a language she's never known or studied. What else? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I thought you were supposed to be an expert. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. Now, if you've seen as many psychotics as I have, you'd realize that's the same thing as saying you're Napoleon Bonaparte. You ask me what I think is best for your daughter. Six months under observation in the best hospital you can find. We didn't, you know, biblical times, if someone was speaking in tongues, even up until, you know, modern understanding of modern psychology and things like schizophrenia or multiple personalities, which I understand is very small, small, small percentage you know, we didn't know, we assumed it was a demon that interfered. So there's this, your daughter isn't sick physically, she's sick mentally. Mm-hmm. And there's that understanding. And then once all that is thrown out the window, the third act is, no. She's actually possessed by a demon. There is a demon, Pazuzu, who has decided that we are too ugly to... And we shouldn't believe in a helpful, good God. So I'm going to show the world that by randomly picking a child and showing that to the to at least her family. And some men of God. And if that doesn't shake you to your very core, then you have your own opinion and I don't know what to do about it. But it scares <laughs> the ever, ever-loving fuck out of me. No, I think it's universally known. Even people that don't like horror movies, um, everyone can admit it's hard to top The Exorcist. For some reason, even as a non-religious person, I guess I'm in the context where I can understand the religious point of view. Um, 
But even beyond that, it's just still such a well-done film that evokes something in you um, that is, is terrifying. Yeah, there's a lot of pieces that went into it between um, William Friedkin as the director, the way he put the story together, he built the tension, um, the writing of William Peter Belletti and the novel that the book and the movie are very close. It's one of those movies that is very close to the novel. Yeah, but have been minor. Came out in that time where novels were starting to be immediately optioned for film treatments and collaboration between the directors and the novelists. Like, like we mentioned in our last episode, Godfather and Mario Puzo. Same thing there. Uh, right. 73. So you can imagine at the time with nothing like that having come out, what you can find reaction videos on. YouTube now with people going to the theater and seeing that. Well, I think, re- yeah, it set the bar for sure. Uh, but there were precursors to it that I think are also still held up as, as great horror movies of the time. I think Rosemary's Baby kind of set the stage for the emergence of the like set it up mm-hmm. to allow for that to come in. That's a big one too. And, um, and one that might not be talked about as much, if not for. That's just for some reason in the early 70s, there was this resurgence of, of religion and the, you know, what is what is good, what is evil. Yes, and, the omen. Yeah. yeah. Um, those, and after that, there, you know, some, there were some lesser films that came out that ended up being called favorites um to the devil a daughter is one of those and even in over in europe italy at the time was doing their giallo films and there were some religious based horror films I a mean, lot of uh vampire nuns that stuff going on. demon spirit yeah and it's interesting that that was a wave that that came about at that time but the exorcist was the pinnacle of that and i know they want to reboot it now they want to do something new with it but well it's already been done to death and yeah they i understand that's just the way it's gonna go but some movies are perfect movies and they don't need to be redone and this i would advocate as one of them and yeah, we'll see. I know, you know, it's uh, Blumhouse and they've done some good stuff and, you know, we'll end up seeing what, what that is. But, uh, I think Exorcist was a perfect storm of time and place and writing and directing and acting and all these things that went into it that you can't really recapture. A reboot will make more than it may- takes to make it. So it'll be a success, but it's not. Something that I think will be remembered years from now, yeah. decades from now, that The Exorcist was. Sure. Um, and a lot of that is owed to, you know, first of all, right now we do a lot of computer effect, digital effects. All of The Exorcist 1970 was practical effects on set. So much that it uh, would break your arm. Yeah. Or give you excruciating back pain for yep. the rest of your life or traumatize you for the rest of your life the fact that they kept the sets below freezing 
to allow for the breath to be seen. And that's not digitally inserted. No. That's um, real breath, damn it. That's real that's breath back when, coming out of those That's actors. back when actors breathed. <laughs> not like now. Um, when you look at Max von Sydow, it was like 40 years old, but they made him that old age. Old age makeup is, you know, very hard to make convincing. You can do it. Well, I mean, to be fair, Max von Sydow was an old man. He had a craggy. Before... He was craggly. He's what's known as <laughs> craggly. In the he was one of those young old men. Yeah. Uh, but they made him look much older than he was in convincingly. Sure. Um, that's not even to mention the the makeup they did on uh, Linda Blair as Regan and the progressive look that she had or that terrifying subliminal face that they would show once in a while in dream sequences. Yeah, or that's subliminal face. Shots. The true face of Pazuzu. Yeah, yeah. which is uh, he, one of the makeup early makeup tests. That they did, but they just felt they didn't work. It wouldn't work for like longevity, and they just they wanted just, to use, just flash it in there. Yeah, and but it, when it you flash it in there and you don't know it's coming, it'll reside in your brain for a while <laughs> for the rest of your life. Yeah, you know, Linda Blair. You know, she was only I think twelve or thirteen. Phenomenal, phenomenal performance on her end. Sure. Um, well, to give you the rest of the story, I left the movie, mm. but my babysitter and company kept watching. And the next day after that, she was like traumatized. Seemingly. I think she because changed. she resonated so much with Regan because she was around that age that, yes, yeah, oh. it just like messed her up. <laughs> so the power of a movie. Power of Christ compelled her. Power of Pazuzu compelled it. <laughs> That'll do it. And not only that, but uh, Ellen Burstyn gives quite an incredible performance, too, as a mother watching her child go through this. And as I mean, as parent, you can, I can completely identify with what is wrong with my child. This is not natural. I would know them. If you showed me their exact double, I would know that it wasn't them. And that's not who my child is. And yeah, that's what makes uh, the overall tone terrifying. Uh, she just does a good job of, of letting you know that this is an aberration of nature. And she's not, you know, the character of Chris McNeil is not religious nope. in the least. And doesn't believe, you know, that this yeah, is her, that's her last resort is this might help. And even that's from a psychological standpoint, because the doctors say, you know, the belief in being taken over by another entity is so powerful that having a holy man come in and say they're removing that is the only thing that's going to get them to snap out of it. And that's her last resort. And just, I love that they use the uh, select, the cast selection is so good because they could have used well-known actors. They could have used Al Pacino or Paul Newman or someone. But between all of them that they chose, including um, Jason Miller, Father Karras, wasn't a well-known film actor. He was a stage actor at the time, and he feels real. He feels like a real guy that would be... Yeah, he's great in it. 
unbelievable performance. Everybody's great. In yeah. And the fact that it's a very limited cast, I think you get to feel a more intimate connection because there's only a few people in this film. Right. You're inside that home. You're part of that. And there's no, like, there's no big performance to take you out of it. Yep. And um, I've always been impressed at, at all of their performances, but Jason Miller is someone that went on to be uh, a playwright and he did some other stage work and but you never really saw him much and he was so convincing and so good as that character it's kind of uh makes it even even more awesome yes that that's the fact right. that he just that came out of nowhere thing. to be like i'm gonna blow your minds and then i'm going back there right and that's all you get and I, I know he had kind of a tragic life. He was alcoholic, had some difficulty afterwards. Uh, but I don't think I can, I can say more praise for his performance in The Exorcist. It, I don't understand how being a horror fanatic, I just recently found out that he's the father of Jason Patrick, hmm. which, Blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, Jason Patrick, and not a supremely well-known actor, but if we're talking about horror, he's in The Lost Boys, uh, 1987 film, vampire film, one of my favorite vampire films. Quintessential film of the 1980s? I think so. And very different, very different than The Exorcist. Uh, you're talking about a different, you know, there's genres of horror. Different genre, different era. Uh, mindset. All mindset. The, and, yeah, Lost Boys is one of those that, again, they're remaking it because why not? Once again, another movie that's fine the way it is. There's no reason to. There's no there's, reason. Listen, they're just not going to Just go watch it right. and you'll be satisfied. Are they going to find a sexy saxophone I player? I hope so. Probably not. Probably like not. Him. No. But, oh man, Lost Boys. That was just when I was discovering. Or just becoming a man. I was just like, oh, I want to be scared. And that's perfect for somebody that age because yep. it's not gratuitous. It's, uh, shows it doesn't tell. Well, it does tell a lot, actually. Uh, but it has, a lightheartedness to it. There's some humor in it with uh, the Frog Brothers and uh, Corey Haim, obviously. Uh, maybe one of his best performances. And he was a talented actor. He was very, especially as a preteen and teen, he really, he could have done so much more. And I know a lot of what happened with him was typecasting him and Corey Feldman. Mm -hmm. uh, both had it rough. They were victims of a shitty Hollywood system and manipulation. And probably uh, more. They were both fantastic in The Lost Boys and just, you know, may maybe being a kid and realizing that The Lost Boys or Peter Pan were kids that never grew up. And if you're a vampire and you're turned at an early age, you would never grow up. I think that was part of the appeal of who are these characters and yeah within the context of the film 
which you cannot separate from the 80s uh, because the 80s had that blend of family, but it's a little more risque than a family movie. Uh, but at its heart, it's, um, it's a good triumphing movie. And I think that theme was just best executed in the 80s. Um, and you, you can't remake that because it's, you know, you know, a lot of it is due to when you look at the big directors of the 80s, especially Spielberg, who was king of the 80s film, because directing and producing the absent father and the divorced mother, single mother was just starting to become not something that was... The dissolution of the nuclear family. Yes. You were starting to see it happen before your eyes, but yet somehow there was still still heart there. Um, Still a togetherness at the end of the day. We're all... And more people could identify with that. They weren't living in a typical nuclear family. They were... Their parents were divorced, and young male or female, no matter what, could identify with a character who was going through that and moving to a new town, California, that happened to have all the damn vampires. Mm-hmm. And interesting, uh, a social movie, insofar as beyond what we're talking about, uh, there were aspects of... It's one of the first movies where you see a single mom portrayed as somebody who's still dating a young single mom... And now she's looking for, uh, she's out there dating. And at the time, that was just kind of like, well, uh, you, you shy away from that. Yes, hope that Max doesn't get a Diane Weist infection. And scene. No, that is actually a very good point. And then the, the kid vampire, I mean. Mm-hmm. And Star. Well, that's what I'm saying. Star and, and, and her her son. I had never seen a, a child vampire before that. And then, of course, uh, Interview with the Vampire used it to great effect. And the novel was out before right. Lost Boys. But I had never personally. And at the same time, you had Near Dark, which also had a young child vampire. But didn't, I don't think Near Dark has it has a fan base, but not the same level mm-hmm. as the Lost Boys, which is interesting because they're very similar in that young adult teenage connection with this other world. I think vampirism along with zombies will always be something that fascinates everyone. There's something innate in us that that makes us interested. Yeah, I mean, at its heart, too, like we came from The Exorcist here. Uh, these types of vampire movies are in a, essentially a possession. Something well. taking over. It's a subgenre. Yeah, you you have this thing that takes you over, and you can't control it. But if you do these certain things, these certain rituals, these steps, maybe you can get it out of you and return, or to even be side. better or, off because of it, more powerful. And that could represent any number of feelings throughout teenage years. Of between sexuality or gender identity or just fitting in with society, that those the kind of these are like a substitution that on an unconscious level we connect with and don't really think about in everyday life until we watch it in 
we see it right on the screen and then the blood and gore kind of it connects it with the humanity of we know what bleeding feels like we know what death being afraid of death feels like so you know what eating maggots feels like mm -hmm. every time i have rice it's mm. all i think mm. about yes first you, know, you don't like rice tell me michael how could a billion chinese people be wrong <laughs> Come on. How are those maggots? <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? <laughs> Is it just merited? Um, Kiefer Sutherland always looked like he just woke up before they said, hey, it's time for to film your scene. It's likely that that's what happened. Right. Just like he was just not like a... A bender. A bender. <laughs> <Just like laughs> Three days. No matter what he's in. It's and like, they were, okay, they were just like, well, it works for the character. Fuck it. Mr. Get, Sutherland. Get in here. Yeah. Uh, between that and Stand By Me. And, and Flatliners. Flatliners. He basically played the same character. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't get typecast. He was the bully in the, the late 80s and the early 90s. bully that you kind of were like, I like this. This guy's kind of cool, though. Yeah, I like this guy. <laughs> I'm, I'd let him bully me. Right. He's got that He's got that Jack Bauer. Mm -hmm. Same thing. He's um, got that bully charisma. Yeah, I was wondering if that was the, uh, if I was the only person who felt that way about Kiefer Sutherland, but. No, I think we all do. We are going to end our First episode of the Pop Culture Connection Horror Movie Special. On that note, uh, we have more to come, including uh, further talk about how The Lost Boys connects to a great and legendary horror writer. The connection then into three excellent cult favorites from an iconic director, his relationship with another iconic horror director, especially of in the slasher genre. We talk about a movie that was pitched but never made. That sounds very interesting. Where the inspiration came from those from the 70s and even back through the 60s. A real life inspiration on a few different horror movie villains. And then uh, into some more directors and one of our favorite 80s family-oriented horror films. So it was a lot of fun to record this. I'm looking forward to the next uh, two or three episodes, depending on how we split this up. Really hope that you enjoy it too. As always, you can reach out to us. We are at thepcccast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at the Pop Culture Connection. We're on Twitter at thepcccast. And as of last week, we are also on YouTube, so I will leave a link in the description of this episode, as well as a link on the website. So until then, stay scared and stay connected.